to the podcast from the Sunday night service at New Life Church. The Sunday night service reflects a desire to be rooted in the historic expressions of faith while engaging God with our whole being in the world today. For more information on New Life Church, you can visit our website at newlifechurch.org. Well, here we are continuing in our Ephesians series, and we're going to jump a little bit. Uh, we've, we wrapped up chapter 3 last week, and uh, we will come back to chapters 4, and we'll probably unpack 5 more and then go on to 6. But uh, tonight, we're going to go right to 5, um, because uh, Dr. Doug Wise spoke this morning, and he was talking from 5, and we thought we'd stay loosely on track with that. Now, I um, don't tell anyone this, but I took a bit of a half vacation day this morning, so I wasn't there this morning. Uh, don't tell anyone, though. Um, and, and what I chose to do instead was to go to Bronco's training camp. Now, <laughs> I, I, there, there's, in fact, I, I was con- considering starting out the story by telling you that I went and visited a new church in Denver this morning, and uh, the cars were just lined all over the street, you know, and there's apparently new leadership that lots of people are excited about. Um, <laughs> But they, they had record, record attendance this morning. It was the biggest training camp they've ever had since they moved to their Dove Valley facilities. How many of you have ever been? Ever been to a Broncos training camp? Or, you know, it's free. You can go. It's just fun. Anyway, whatever. How many of you could care less about football? Don't raise your hands. Okay. That's good. <laughs> so I had just gotten back from uh, a trip last week, and uh, I got back in late Friday night. And so I thought, you know, this will be a fun daddy-daughter kind of thing, you know. So I said to my girls, of course it is, you know. So I said to my girls yesterday, why are you laughing? I said to them yesterday, I said, hey, you, you girls, you know, Sophia, she, she's five, and Nora is about three and a half. And I said, you girls want to come with me to go see the Broncos training camp tomorrow? And they're like, yeah. You know, they don't know what they're saying yes to. And they love their dad, you know. They want to be with their dad. And so they're like, yeah, sure, we'll, you know, we'll go. And so... Uh, it didn't, I didn't uh, realize that in order to make it up there in time and realizing that this was day one of the, that was open to the public and all this stuff, that we should probably leave early. So 6.30 in the morning, uh, my alarm goes off, and it so happened that, of course, you know, last night, Jonas, our eight-month-old, uh, was, there he is, <laughs> on cue, uh, had a particularly rough uh, night, and so we were up for several times, and I think maybe got, we got three and a half, four hours of sleep at the most, and so I was really, really tired, but I was committed. I mean, this was, I wanted to, so I was up, and okay, come on, let's go, and I go to get Sophia up, I'm like, Sophia, come on, it's time to go, and she's like, Dad, I'm frozen to my bed, you know, <laughs> like, I can't move, like, I'm like, come on, honey, and, and she, you know, she peps up, she's kind of my girl, and so she, you know, she's getting dressed, and Nora's like, I'm not so sure, and finally I convince her, and, you know, so we're getting in the van, and Holly's like, great, you know, I got five hours, and, you know, so, and, uh, <laughs> I was wondering why she thought it was such a good idea. Anyway, so we get in the van and, um, you know, we packed little snacks for him and all this stuff. And we, we get up there and uh, there's the, the line is just so long. I mean, just the line to get in. Anyway, so it's, it, we drop him off on the street. I, I went with a couple other guys. I didn't drop them off on the street. <laughs> Sorry. It all makes sense to me, but you don't know what, what I know. So I went with a couple of other guys, and they were going to bring their kids too, but their kids were too young, and they were smarter and left their kids at home, and I had mine. And so, so they, they helped get the girls in line, and I parked the van way out, you know, in Lyman, I think, and then walked over, and um, 
And we get there, and it's, you know, it's still kind of exciting. And somehow we ended up like on the 40-yard line, like right in the front row as we're walking down. Um, you, you just sit on the grass, basically. You sit all around the field. And, and uh, these people had just left the spot. And the guy was like, you guys want to sit right here? And we're like, right here? Sure, of course, you know. So we're right there. And, I, you know, I'm all excited. And this is fun. As soon as we sit down, Sophia's like, I'm hungry. I don't want to be, Daddy, I, I left my banana in the van. And I'm like, I can't go to the van, the van. So, you know, like, I'm not, you know. And they're just starting, there's Tebow, you know. So, anyway, so, so, so we're sitting there, and she's, she's really, oh, I'm just so hungry. And I'm, like, trying to distract her, and I'm also trying to pay attention. And, and then, okay, I say, okay, let's go get a drink from the concession stands. And all they have is drinks there, so we got her a drink that might fill her up a little bit. We come back, and, and so that kind of, you know, appeased her for a little while. And... We get to, you know, we got the, it started about 8.45, and around 10, they were supposed to wrap up at 10.30, and at 10, about 10 o'clock, both of them are just, they've had it, you know, it's hot, and they're, they just don't want to be here, they could care less, you know, and, uh, and they thought they were, they were doing this because they loved their dad, and they thought this was going to be great, and then now they just don't care, so, so they're both like, no, we're tired, let's go, I'm hungry, I'm hot, I'm thirsty, you know, I'm like, hang on, hang on, now, now they're actually you know, doing like fun drills, you know, like where the offense is scrimmaging against the defense for a few plays. Anyway, whatever. So it was really fun for me. So I'm like, hang in there, hang in there. And, and anyway, we made it to the end of it. We got to our van. They fell asleep as soon as we got in there. We made it home and it was fine. But it is so much like normal life where you start out because you love a person, you're willing, you say, yes, I'll go to such and such a place with you. Or yes, we'll be friends. Or yes, we'll get married, and you say yes because you love this person, and initially there's this surge of willingness to make sacrifices. They got up at 6.30 in the morning and rolled in the van. I mean, there was the willingness to make sacrifices, but over time, the the best of our good intentions wear out because they're no match for the strength of our selfishness, and all of a sudden, you become more aware of your own needs. I'm hungry. I need to go to the bathroom, you know, or, which they did, and, 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 and then you're more aware of your own wants. I just don't want to be here anymore. And so what starts out with the willingness because of love to make sacrifices and do something you don't really, you know, all of a sudden it wears thin because, hey, there's me, and there's what I need, and there's what I want. And I, isn't that the way it is so often? I mean, even in marriage and even in friendships, I mean, think about all the relationships you have. And, and friendships are, are interesting because you start out with, a, you know, you enjoy doing something together and you, you know, you, you're having a good time. And then all of a sudden, there begins to be that little disagreement. And then you realize, I don't really like this person or they don't, you know, and it starts. But the beauty of friendship, the way we do friendship so often these days, is you can just sort of fade out. You know, kind of fade out of that friendship and, you know, just sort of phase into another friendship, you know. And what happened? I, I don't know. The Lord must have just been leading us on different paths, you know. And it's just, it's convenient because it's friendship. You, you, know, you can sort of dial that down. But it doesn't really work so well in marriage. In fact, it doesn't work at all in marriage. <laughs> You're like, Glenn. Because we start out with the same strength of good intentions and we mean to love one another and we mean to make sacrifices and we mean to do this, but then all of a sudden you realize this person really doesn't deserve all the sacrifices that I'm making. 
I've never thought that about my wife, but my wife has thought that about me, I'm sure, you know. Or, or, or you start to realize, okay, well, I, I'm doing all this stuff, and I just, what about me? I talked with a couple a while ago. It's very open, very honest about their journey, and, and it was, it was, it, it's difficult because they would say, you know, this is, we, we've gone through years and years of making sacrifices for one another, but we feel like we've lost our soul or lost ourselves in the midst of this. And you see that sometimes. You say, how, do, how does this couple, they've been together 20, 30 years, and then now all of a sudden they're saying, see ya. And, and it's almost as if you say, okay, okay, I'll give in. Okay, I'll yield. Okay, I'll, you know, whatever you need, whatever you need, whatever you need. And you do that for 20 years, and then all of a sudden you say, but what about me? And boiling beneath the surface is the desire or the need or the things that you want. And sometimes the answer that you get in church is, well, just die to what you want. You know, just forget what you want. And so, and so married couples say, well, okay, well, I'll try. And they try to just die to what they want. They try to die to what they want. And then 30 years later, they say, you never let me be this, that, and the, and the other spouse says, never knew you wanted that. Well, I was trying to die to my wants, but now I can't die to it anymore. Right? And we've got to sort of figure this out because what is it? Uh, do, we, do we sort of just ignore it and say what I want or what I need? No, that doesn't matter, you know? Do I, it would be like me this morning kind of saying to uh, Sophia, you don't really need food, you know? Die to that want. You know, is, that, is that right? No, I didn't say that. I got him food uh, later, you know? <laughs> Priorities, you know? So, so, so what, do you, what do you do? I mean, is, is it about sort of saying, no, just deny yourself. Don't worry about what you need. Don't worry about what, is that it? No, but sometimes we think that's the message, isn't it? That the key to a godly relationship, whether it's a marriage or even a friendship to a less, much lesser degree, is to just say, well, I'm just going to give in and I'm just going to give in. But after time after time of giving in and giving in and giving in, if that's all you're doing because you think you're supposed to, one of two things will happen. Either you'll say, you start to resent this other person, and you say, oh, why am I always making all the sacrifices? And hop up, you know, you're not making any sacrifices. And you start, so resentment grows. Or just this, this backlash of like, I'm sorry, I've got to take care of me now. And you hear people say things like that. Oh, I got, you know what? This time this is for me. I've got to do something for me. As if it's like, you know, I'll go 20 years for you, but I just need this for me. Okay, I mean, is that, okay, maybe we should play this ratio game or like keep score? I mean, how is it? What Paul proposes in Ephesians 5 and 6 is really something quite revolutionary. Because he's neither saying, oh, just, you know, you know do whatever you want and, 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 and make sure that you're taken care of and make sure your needs are... He neither says that, nor does he say, well, just disappear, to let yourself disappear, and you don't need, uh, you, you know, don't worry about any of the things you need, and just, you know, that's not what he says. In fact, we'll start with Ephesians 5, verse 18, uh, and then we'll go all the way through 21, Jeff, sorry, a little bit out of order on the notes, but Ephesians 5, 18, he starts talking to them about spirit-filled living. And he says to them, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And speak to one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so many times we stop right there. 
And in fact, depending on where your Bible breaks up sections, you may have a section heading right after that. But as you, you study this text, you realize verse 21 is a funny verse. Because it sort of comes after this be filled with the Spirit section and right before this whole marriage section. And verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's so interesting that it comes on the heels of him saying, Be filled with the Spirit. Overflow. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And, and we love that. We love Ephesians 5, 18 through 20. It's like, yes! You see, the evidence of the Spirit-filled life is how I can sing to you when I hear my song. La, 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 you know, and whatever. And it's just, we've got this picture of this almost floating spirituality. A spirituality that's very disconnected from our normal lives. But Paul does not have a disconnected spirituality. For Paul, being filled with the Spirit shows up in every single one of your relationships. For Paul, maybe the greatest measure or the greatest evidence that you're being filled with the Spirit is that you can submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's interesting, the flow of this, because for him, that's what this means. The culmination of being filled with the Spirit is not showiness or all the gifts you and I have. The culmination of being filled with the Spirit is not self-serving individualism. You know, I think we, so many times we talk about being filled with the Spirit, we talk about it as in me, right? Well, I need to be filled with the Spirit so I can prophesy. Okay, well, that's true. I need to be filled with the Spirit so I can exercise my gift. Every time Paul talks about this, it's corporate. It's together. It's communal. The gifts of the Spirit are communal. They're not private things that we just sort of flex to one another, you know, and church becomes kind of this place where we sort of do that, you know. I'm going to stop doing this now. <laughs> but Paul's idea is, look, if you are filled with the Spirit, you'll know, you'll know, you'll begin to know how to live with one another. It'll start to change the Christian community. It'll start to change the life, your life together as a church. In fact, he's, he starts with it'll, how it'll start to change your life together as the Christian home. And for Paul, the culmination of being filled with the Holy Spirit is so that we can submit to one, one another out of reverence for Christ. And this, this verse sort of kicks off a whole series of sections on human relationships, both in Ephesians 5 and Ephesians 6. In fact, in the so-called marriage section in Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, there's 12 verses. Six times in those 12 verses, Christ is mentioned. Six times Christ is mentioned in 12 verses. In fact, in Ephesians 6, 1 through 9, and the children and parents and slaves and masters, employee, employer, if you want to look for our analog of that, in those verses, those are nine verses, Paul references Christ, Lord, God, seven times in nine verses. Do you think he's trying to tell us something? That we're not simply sort of to say this, okay, Jesus, I love you and I worship you, and then now I've got to figure out how to work out my relationships. Is that it? No. What we need to catch as a church is that our spirituality, our being filled with the Spirit, is meant to play out in the very ordinary things like our relationships. It's supposed to change our work relationships. It's supposed to change our parent-child relationships. It's supposed to change our husband-wife. It's supposed to change all of our relationships. That our faith is not meant to be a category in our lives. 
It's not meant to, you're not meant to sort of have this report card view of life. You know, it's like, well, how's my spiritual life? Check, pretty good. You know, I've been pretty strong on the quiet time. You know, check. Uh, maybe I give myself a B plus. You know, how's your family life? Well, we've had a few arguments lately. I'll give myself a C. And you know, as if it were disconnected subjects on a report card that God's grading you on. Do you know that nowhere in the Bible is there this discussion about your spiritual life? There's no such thing as your spiritual life. There is only this Christ-shaped, Spirit-filled life, which means Christ at the center, this Holy Spirit inside of us, bleeding out into the way that we interact with one another. It's supposed to take shape in our ordinary relationships. There's no such thing as, well, my spiritual life, then my home life's kind of okay, but yeah. No, 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 no. Christ, Christ, Christ at the center. Christ at the center of our home relationships. Christ at the center of our work relationships. Always, always Christ. Six times in 12 verses when he's talking about husband and wife. Seven times in nine verses when he's talking about children and parents and employees and employers. That's a lot of times you think he's trying to get them catch this rhythm, Christ at the center. Say, well, okay, well, that's nice. You know, should we close our Bibles and go to the movie night? Which, by the way, the movie night is in here, and they're not going to start in here till about 8 o'clock, so we're, we're, we're fine. You're not going to miss Revenge of whatever, you know, Toy Story 2. <laughs> Just kidding. So is that it? Okay, so put God at the center. Okay, great, great. Yeah. What does that mean? I think Ephesians 5.21 is a huge, huge verse. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's a lot of things in that sentence that strikes us funny. The word submit, for example, is a word that strikes us funny. Lower yourself under uh, under another. Don't really want to do that. Out of reverence, the honor for Christ. Not sure about that rather just think about Jesus as my boyfriend. I'm not sure about how to, reverence for Christ. But those are all connected ideas. So I want to spend a few moments kind of unpacking a little bit of what this might look like. And I'm going to use marriage a lot, but I think this applies in all of our relationships. But let's particularly say marriage. When you come into your marriage, you bring a box with you. And I don't mean baggage, though you do bring some of that. (laughs) But you bring this box of desires. Let's put this on this chair here. Dreams, wishes, and maybe it's simple things, things you you never really paid much attention to. But you sort of thought when you got married (laughs) that you'd come home from work and dinner would be ready. Welcome home, my love. How was your day? I'm sure you've been sl- working so hard today. So I have your favorite meal prepared. Instead, it's a little bit more like this, right? Okay. You know, I thought there was going to be fresh cooked meals. Here's that occasionally, maybe more frequently than I thought. But on the flip side, she thought... That when you came home that you would say, hello, my darling, let's sit down face to face for an hour and just catch up on each other's day. And the only thing he wants to be face to face with is this. 
right? Or maybe this. Hey, hey. These are all things from my home, by the way. And maybe you thought that when shopping for pajamas, she might visit a store like this. And instead it was more of this. Sort of like, okay. Not what I was expecting. I mean, I thought we would get married, you know. And maybe she thought that when you got married, it was like, honey, whatever you want to spend. Here's my checkbook. You don't even have to ask. A new pair of shoes? Of course. Yet another pair of jeans? Absolutely. Here's my checkbook, my love. Instead, it's not quite like that. And we walk in to marriage, to relationships, with a, with a lot of desires and wishes and dreams and all this stuff that we sort of think. And, and so again, what's the answer? Do we say, Psh, none of it. Don't have any of it. You know, no desires, no wishes. Die to yourself. <laughs> wow, anyone want to sign up for a Christian marriage, you know? Wow. Is that it? Is that, yep. What happens with that box of desires or wishes is so key. Because what usually happens is those things go unsaid and uncommunicated because, well, they know my desires. Well, surely they grew up in the same sort of home that I grew up with, and this is what my dad did. He came home and he sat in front of the t- you know. I just need some space, woman, you know. Doesn't every woman know that, you know? And you assume that they know and that they share your expectations. And so what happens is when desires are left uncommunicated, they turn into expectations. And they turn into these unspoken expectations where you just say, well, isn't that how it's supposed to be, right? Isn't this how marriage is supposed to work? And the worst kind of unspoken expectations are the kind that get spoken with Bible verses. Well, this is my expectation. And Paul said, you know, you throw your Bible dart at each other, you know. And you start to defend your expectations. Well, this is what I expect. Let me tell you why I expect it. Well, it's right here, honey, in Ephesians 5. That conversation never goes well. Not that I've tried. And you, you say, this is my expectation. And you start to defend your expectations. So think over here you have, you have desires and requests. We, we can't see that graph too much, but that's okay. But think about here. You have this box of desires, and you, you don't speak it, and so it turns into expectations. But here's the thing about expectations. You can't win. Because when you meet someone's expectations, what happens? Nothing. Because it's expected of you. Did your mortgage company call you this month, send you a card, thank you for paying your bill? You know, Comcast sends you a nice little note. Hey, Greg and Sheila, thanks for paying Comcast this way. Do they do? No, because it's expected. So when, it, when a desire becomes unspoken and it turns into an expectation, and then when it's met, you just say, yeah. Zero, nothing. Worse yet, when it's unmet, what happens? There's some real frustration. 
There's some real friends. And that's what it says back there is, is when it's met on this side, silence. And when it's unmet on this side, frustration. It's this thing of like, well, I thought you were supposed to. How come? And we just... And then it's just this ugly cycle because you get frustrated and they say, well, I didn't, I didn't know you were expecting Well, of course I expect that. I mean, that's what every Christian woman would do. And that's what every Christian husband would. And here again, you haven't done anything to unpack your box of desires. All you've done is defend your expectations with Bible verses. And then you're saying, well, no, this is what I should expect and, and see how you're failing. And then it becomes just a finger-pointing match of how each other's failing to meet expectations that, of course, are God-given. The truth is, our expectations are not God-given, but our desires sometimes are. And so the difference is to say, how do I take this box of desires, this box of wishes, this box of dreams, how how do I take this and prevent it from getting into just unsaid expectations. Well, you turn them into requests. You start to say, okay, simple request. I'm going to ask this of you. But here's the beauty of the request. The kingdom of God works on requests. And think about Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount saying, look, ask, seek, knock. But requests are different than guarantees, you know. Requests are not, you know, hey, say this, ask for this, and it's not magic. But you know what requests are? Requests are proof that you trust the other person's love. Because if, if we're honest, we say, well, why didn't you just ask me for that? The truth is we would say, because I didn't trust that you love me enough to do that. Because I just... I don't know, I didn't think you cared. Why, why didn't you ask, why didn't you say to me that you needed some time alone or you wanted to be with the fellas? Or you, why do you, well, I just, I don't know, I, I thought if I would ask, you'd say no. Well, I thought that you don't care. Asking itself, asking in itself is a demonstration of our trust in the other person's love. It shows that we are confident in them, that we believe in them, that we're, asking for it. But here's the disclaimer. The request must be one that is made out of reverence for Christ, if it is to be granted out of reverence for Christ. So the the whole thing, listen, here's the difference, all right? If I'm at the center, then my requests, oh my, sorry, my desires, of course are expectations, because I'm at the center, the trouble with that is, how does that work when two people are at the, trying to be at the center? And then one person's saying, well, my expectations are more important. And, well, my expectations are more important. And all this stuff. And you're just, there's no elbow room in the center anymore. Because you're at the center. But if Christ is at the center, you'll make requests of one another. But even the requests are made out of reverence for Christ. I think, and as I was studying it this week, I think there's something to suggest that when Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, that that reverence for Christ bit doesn't just apply to the person who's granting a request, but it applies to the person who's making the request. And maybe some of us have to think about the requests we're making. 
You know, like, well, I, I mean, is that really, are you making that out of reverence for Christ? Or is this out of reverence for self? Who's at the center of that request? Okay. But, but here's what else happens is when you say, okay, I'm going to choose to unpack this box of, of desires and I'm going to choose to turn them into a simple request because I trust my spouse, so I trust this, I'm going, you know, out of love, for, I'm going to, what happens then when they do it? You're free to be grateful. You're free to be grateful because it was just a request. Oh, wow, I, I, just, I just asked if you could be home at 5.30 so that we could have dinner together. Why, you're home, thank you. It frees you up to be grateful. I tell you, there was all kinds of things that I realized I had let sort of just slide into the category of expectations. Like, not, and whenever you have expectations, it's turned into an expectation, there's no room for gratitude. Because it's an expectation. But if it's turned into, if a desire is turned into a request, then there's room for gratitude. So when we started thinking through this over this past year, I started to realize, what are all the things that Holly does that I just take for granted? I said, babe, thank you for waking up in the middle of the night. Thank you for choosing that decision about raising our kids. Thank you for being thoughtful about where we're buying groceries. Thank you for thinking about meals. Thank you, thank you for thinking all this stuff that I sort of was like, yeah, well, yeah, good, you know. Not really, but you know what I mean? You just sort of lose the gratefulness. And, and maybe that's a good measure, a good meter is where's the the gratitude meter right now in your relationships? Because if gratitude is low, maybe all your desires are are just expectations. But if your desires are requests of, would you consider doing this? Would you please? Oh, I would love it. Or this would mean a lot to me. Or I really would love to to get away on a vacation this year. I know we're tight on a budget, but maybe we could go camping. You know, whatever. You're making requests. And then when it's granted, you can say, wow, thank you. That's so awesome. I'm, I asked something of you out of my trust in your love for me, and you did it out of your love for me. I'm just so grateful. It changes everything. And then what happens if they don't? What if they can't? What if you say, you know what, I would just love it if you didn't watch Sports Center every night. That's not a real example from our home. It's just, just the top of my head, you know. I, and what if that doesn't come to pass? What if you don't do that? If you were submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, if Christ is the center, then the person who's made the request can say, you know what? My source ultimately is Christ. The person that I'm, the reason why I continue to love and continue to make requests and, and, and trust and not try to, you know, because the temptation is when, when something doesn't go out, Go, go work the way you want it to when you make a request of a friend or a spouse, whatever, you're like, do, do this for me. And they're like, yeah, and nothing changes. What's the temptation right away? I've got to find a way to control this. I've got to find a way to manipulate this. And maybe you don't think about it that way, but you think there's different subconscious ways we sort of are finding ways to control it. Well, you know, maybe I'll just, whatever. Manipulate, control, I'll, I'll cry, I'll do this, I'll, you know, Whatever. When if Christ is the center, you say, you know what? Am I making it clear? Am I explaining? Am I unpacking this box of desires and turning it into a request? And if the answer is yes, and there's still no change, and you, you understand that to keep making that request is no longer a request, but annoying, you know, you've made the request, 
the thing to do then is to say, all right, well, I trust. I'm going to trust that Christ is at work here. Last week we talked about prayer-shaped imagination. I'm going to trust that Christ is at work in our home, even beyond what I can see. And I'm going to keep asking and and making these requests, but ultimately I surrender. To, to, To whom? To the Lord. What we're talking about here is not relationships that say, I will lay down for you and you lay down for me. That, that truly is not what Paul's saying. What Paul is saying is, we're all laying down for Christ. And out of that place of surrender to Christ, we're learning to ask things of one another, trust one another, and ultimately trust Christ. And, and when it works out, be grateful. When it hasn't worked out yet, keep trusting and keep being willing to revisit it. Does that make sense? Now, that is incredibly simplistic. That's incredibly like, oh, well, cool. Thanks, Glenn. Didn't know that. That's going to... No. There's a lot more to, to relationships than that. And, that's, and relationships are, are dynamic, and, 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 and there's so much that we have to sort of keep wrestling with. But I think the thing that the Holy Spirit wants us to keep reminding ourselves of is that Is Christ the center of this relationship? And when you feel like the other person has run out of credits, (laughs) when you feel like, how can they be asking that of me? I am already... When you feel that, that's when you realize, ultimately, I'm not doing this out of reverence for him or her. I'm doing this because I trust Christ is at work. Again, there's all kinds of different caveats, and I'm not saying this as a blanket thing. There's situations where there's dangerous, harmful things going on. There's all kinds, there's special, particular counsel to be aware of. But can we get this at the very center of it? Can we get this as the shape of it? With Christ at the center, we learn to trust Him and each other and to make requests of Him and each other. Because here's the thing, when you make requests of one another and say, I'm not seeing any change yet, guess what? There's still another that you make requests of. It's your Father in heaven. There's still another who's here, who's at work. That all three persons of the Trinity are actually at work in your marriage. Did you know that? It's five people. And there's more of them than there are of you. <laughs> We're surrounded. And this is why you know, people say, oh, the Trinity is so obscure. It's just a little doctrine on paper. It's not a doctrine on paper. It's this thing that reminds us that God is at work all around us. It's not something we need to try to explain. It's something we need to enter into. That here's the Father in heaven that we make requests of. Here's the Spirit that is filling us and enabling us to lay our lives down for one another. And here's Jesus, the one out of reverence for whom we make the kinds of decisions we make. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all shaping our home and our relationships. It's not just you and some other person and you and, you know, and, 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 and then, oh, let's just try to do this for God. I am so challenged to talk about God in ways that are Trinitarian. Because, and this is a little sidebar, but when you talk about God as just this mono being, then you imagine that he's here and you're here, and he's asking this of you and you're trying to do this for him. He's not a mono being. Because he's the Trinity, he's here and he's here and he's in here 
He's working from within. And the one that enables. And the one that gets the glory. Do you you catch this? Talk about shaping your imagination. Shape this prayerful imagination to see that my marriage is not just my marriage. This friendship is not just this friendship. This situation at work, this conflict is not just this conflict. That all three persons of the Trinity are involved in this. Talk about the right kind of conflict mediation. That there's the Father whom we make requests of. Father, help. Father, intervene. Father, change. There's the Spirit that is at work in us and in the other person in, in a Christian relationship. And there's Christ that we both revere and surrender to. And that begins to shape our relationships. Does that make sense? Now we're all in different places. You know, some of us are at the point where it's like, yeah, uh, but, but, but we've had too many years of, of living in the damage of expectations and the damage of accusations and frustrations. Okay, I, I, I know. And there's no quick way out of that. There's no like, well, just do this, and in five days, there's no quick way out of that. But if Christ is at the center, could we think through this lens a little bit? You know, living this Christian life requires, I I hate to tell you, it requires a lot of thinking. It really does. In fact, in Ephesians, if we had read straight through up to this point, we would have just finished the section at the end of Ephesians 4 where Paul says, So put off these behaviors and put on these ones. In other words, this isn't going to feel natural. This isn't what you want to do. This isn't about being true to yourself. It's about unlearning some bad habits. It's about learning some new ones. We're on the journey of learning a new habit of saying, okay, okay, I I, I would like to make a request and then trust. We're, we're, we're learning that habit. I, I, I'd rather work toward that and keep, let the Holy Spirit keep working in us to do that than to say, well, I don't know, this is just what I want and therefore it's what I expect and if it doesn't happen, I'm going to be mad and then you fill in the blank. Can we, as a church, practice this even with one another? Could we? I mean, I love, you know, Russ and June, you guys talking about, you're making a request. You're saying, here's a need. Making a request. Don't know that all of you can do something. Maybe some of you can. You'll bring some, you'll bring some diapers. You'll bring that, you know. It's okay. Ultimately, we trust the Father. But out of reverence for Christ, I'm going to ask and see if out of reverence for Christ, this may work for you to, yeah. We, we do this with one another. But we've got this bad habit of individualism, don't we? We've got this bad habit of keeping this box closed. So, well, no, I mean, I, I mean, I'll worship God, but I'm not going to express anything to anyone else about what's in my heart. Well, why? Why do you think that way? This Christian life is not this thing. We come together and we have private religious experiences and then we go out and see ya. My hope for us as a mini congregation subpart of this larger congregation. My hope is that we become the kind of congregation that begins to be comfortable that, that of, with saying, you know, I, man, I, would, I would love it if uh, I could just get together with, with you. I need to hear some wisdom from you. Oh, you're making a request of someone. I didn't know you need it. Yeah, sure. I can't this week. Maybe two weeks from now, you know. 
And we start to do that with one another. It's just not the government bureau where it's like, well, I have an official need. I'm going to, you know, it's like we can do this with one another. We can begin to ask of one another. Because asking is the way of the kingdom. Asking shows that we trust. Asking shows that we belong to the same Christ. That his name is part of you as much as it is part of me. And that not everything you ask for, you're going to get. And that's okay. If you've, if, if, you've, if you've been praying for longer than a day, you know that. Not everything you ask. So, you stop, pray, stop asking? No. Stop trusting? No. It just means, okay, well, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not thinking of the right thing, but I'm just going to keep doing this. Because this is the way of the kingdom, to make this request. To recognize Christ at the center of our marriage relationships, our friendships, our work relationships, all of it. And to remember that we're surrounded by the persons of the Trinity. Amen? This is God's dream for His people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes from you. Thank you for the gifts of friendships. Thank you for the gifts of marriage. Thank you for the gift of relationships. Thank you that you gave us, that you've given us one another. Jesus, we are your church, your body. Be the center. Be the head. Be the thing at the core of it all. It shapes the way we love. It shapes the way we act and live. And Holy Spirit, fill us fresh tonight. We would be filled and keep on being filled with your spirit. Not so we can be sideshows, but so we can be one people. United. Pray for every marriage specifically specifically tonight so many particularities it's impossible to give a blanket answer but somehow help us to engage you Holy Spirit to engage Christ to engage the Father to recognize that you are at work in our stories in our homes We're up for the long journey. Be the center. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen.